Well, welcome everyone. Welcome. And as uh, we get ready to start and start worshiping, I ask everyone to stand. <clears throat> Welcome the Holy Spirit. Welcome into this place.
Thank you, Father. You are welcome here. Thank you, Jesus. Brother Henry, I know that uh, I don't like bombarding people, but brother, would you bless us and open us in the word? Amen. Father, we just thank you tonight, Lord God. Thank you that you are a good God, that you are a personal God, Lord God, that you know everything about us, that you're here with us today in this place. We do welcome you into this place, Lord. We welcome you into our hearts. We welcome you into our thoughts, Lord God. We welcome you into everything about our lives, Lord God. We want to just take advantage of this time, Lord, as we come together to worship. Yes, Jesus. And Lord, Holy Spirit, have your way. Move in our hearts. Help us to open up to you, to sing to you, to give you the praise and the glory tonight. We just thank you tonight to give you all the praise and glory in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Praise God.
I won't take for granted the sacrifice you set me free. I hunger and thirst for you.
sounded really loud. It sounds really loud to me. Ah. You've all heard the term, so what have you done for me lately? That, that, uh, that reminded me, has reminded me all, all week to, to try and cultivate the different attitude, right? Because sometimes when we approach God, we approach him in that manner, we say, so what have you done for me lately? As if his whole existence is to please me and to do what I ask him to do. In uh, Romans chapter 1, there's, there's an interesting verse, and I just wanted to read it because it, it kind of touches on that. Uh, Romans chapter 1, verses 20 and 21. 
For since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes, his eternal power, and divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood through what has been made, so that they are without excuse. For even though they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks. But they became futile in their speculations, and their foolish heart was darkened. If you look back in the Old Testament, you remember some of the Psalms. Some of those Psalms are recounting of what God has done for Israel. And when you look into the New Testament, you can see some of that same thing going on. It's remembering what God has done, the blessings that he has poured out on us, the blessing of salvation, the blessing of forgiveness of sins, the blessing of sanctification. For many of us, the blessings of health. The blessing of being able to help other brothers and sisters in Christ. The blessing of being able to speak the truth in love to someone. The blessing of being confronted by a brother. Those are all blessings. But sometimes we focus on the question, so what have you done for me lately? Instead of saying, thank you for the things that you continue to do and are going to do. And so today I'd like to remind us that in the time we have not only a time of prayer, but a time of praise, a time to remember those blessings that he has poured out upon us. A friend of mine and of Wayne's is getting out in July and kind of been corresponding with him. And, and it's, it's, you have to really focus in on, as you're getting out, you know, focus in on, okay, God's going to take care of me. And I don't have to sweat it. I remember when my brother, David, got out. And his testimony, the testimony of his daily walk was of thankfulness and of just God's got it under control. That's a testimony that he didn't forget that God was large and in charge, and he wasn't. And because he knew, um, because he knew that, he didn't have to, he didn't have to sweat it. In fact, um, that, that was the other thing that I kind of looked at, if I can find out where it's at. There it is. And Moses, in Deuteronomy 31, he's, 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 gonna, he's departing this earth, and he's giving a charge to the Israelites, and he's turning them over to Joshua. And he says to Joshua, Be strong and courageous, for you shall go with this people into the land which the Lord has sworn to their fathers to give them, and you shall give it to them as an inheritance. And the Lord is the one who goes ahead of you. He will be with you. He will not fail you or forsake you. Do not fear or be dismayed. 
That's one of my prayers for each one of us, is that our testimony would be that we not live in fear, but we live in the knowledge that God is going before us. Are there going to be trials and temptations and troubles? The T's? Yes, there are going to be those. And who's going to be there with us to get us through all of them? The Lord. And when do we remember that he is going to do that? We remember it before it happens, while it's happening, and after it happens. That's what the charge is. So with that, we're going to start with praises and, and prayer and then prayer. Have anything for from anyone? Praises for this week? All right, let's pray. Father, we thank you for our family that is here, family of brothers and sisters, firstborn sons and daughters, who are all under your headship. And we thank you, Lord, that you have you have provided us with many blessings. We think of our jobs, we think of our our families, think of wives. And we just ask, Father, that you would you would bless them, that you would bless our children. Lord God, we give you our struggles. We give you our trials and our temptations. And we ask, Lord, that you would work through those to show us that you provide for our patience, you provide for our perseverance, you provide for our forbearance with others. Help us, Lord, to, to be a testimony of your grace and your provision each and every day and in each and every instance so that as those who look upon us see your glory, they see you working through us in all things, that they might too know you and call upon you as Savior and Lord. We thank you, Father, that as we go through trials and we go through temptations and we and we fall father that we see your hand always there to lift us up to draw us near to yourself and you offer father forgiveness and you offer instruction you offer training that we might be conformed into your image father we pray for those who are sick and we ask, Lord God, that you would minister to them in their, in their sickness. Provide them with a sense of security and of hope. Provide them, Lord God, with a, the understanding that even as they're enduring that trial, that you are with them. Help us be a testimony to our, our family, to, to wives and children grandchildren. Lord God, help us to point towards you in all things that we do. We ask tonight that you would minister to Seku as he's ministering to us. That you would help us, Father, just to hear your word to us through Seku. That as he ministers to us, that our hearts would be yielded to your word, that they would be yield, our hearts would be yielded to your voice, your still small voice speaking to us.
We pray all these things in Christ's name. Amen. Thank you, Brother Mark. Wow, that seems loud. That seems very loud. That's super loud. Obviously, I don't need it that loud. <laughs> well, here we are on another Saturday, and praise God that we made it, that you made it. For those that um, are a little heavy-hearted, for those among us that are sick and dealing with and battling illness, um, while we are concerned for the people that are battling illness, we are also thankful that we can commend them into the hands of God and that God watches over each and every one of us through our trials and our battles. So while it grieves me to see people suffer with COVID and with other illnesses, it also gives me confidence to know that God has us and God is our ultimate healer through Christ Jesus. So, um, and, and as I've said since COVID started, this is not something to be fearful of. We respect it, but we're not fearful of it. God did not call us to live in fear. Did not call us to live in fear. Fear is a tool of the adversary. God called us to live in confidence and hope. And it doesn't matter what this world throws at us or what illness or result of sin throws at us, no matter what, at the end of the day, to live is Christ and to die is gain. So all we're doing here is trying to capture and get as many souls into the kingdom as possible before all of this goes away and God starts the whole thing anew. If you have your Bible, turn to Matthew, the 25th chapter, and we're going to talk about the church today, not just the church, but this church. Um, to answer a question that some have had over the years um, and to kind of give a little bit more understanding as to what we're doing. Page 1651. <laughs> Matthew chapter 25, verse 31 through 40. Um, and uh, I hear a few pages turning, so let's stand in honor of reading God's word. Matthew chapter 25, verses 31 through 40. And I am reading out of the New King James. It says, when the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the holy angels with him, then he will sit on the throne of his glory. All the, all the nations will be gathered before him and he will separate them one from another as a shepherd divides his sheep from the goats. And he will set the sheep on his right hand, but the goats on his left. Then the king will say to those on his right hand, Come, you blessed of my father. Inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry, and you gave me food. I was thirsty, and you gave me drink. I was a stranger, and you took me in. I was naked, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you visited me. I was in prison, and you came to me. Then the righteous will answer him saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you or thirsty and give you drink? When did we see you a stranger and take you in or prison and come to you? And the king will answer and say to them, assuredly, I say to you, in as much as you did it to one of these, one of the least of these, my brethren, you did it to me. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for your spirit. We thank you for this gathering. 
and the ability to come before you freely, to worship you, to hear from you, to fellowship with one another. Lord, we pray that it is your spirit that teaches us today what it is that you would have for us, individually as well as corporately. Lord, let our spirit hear your voice. Let our hearts be receptive to your voice and your call. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. Obviously, the name of this church is in this scripture, which um, if you're a writer, like at least one of us is, um, they, they call that foreshadowing, you know, to bring up the title in the movie before you get to the big part. And this church is called to the least of these um, kind of in an instantaneous moment of this is what it's going to be called and also for a reason. But that reason has often been uh, misunderstood and sometimes vocally, very vocally misunderstood. When we were in Walletta, we had people picketing outside the house. We had all these issues going on. And somewhere in our Bible study, we realized we needed a church. This is years ago. This is before this building. This is before meeting in any living room. This is just a, a group of people under duress <laughs> with news cameras and picket signs and all this stuff out front going, we need a place of worship where we can go to and feel comfortable and be able to worship God freely. And so when the question was asked, well, what shall we... Actually, it wasn't even asked because the person who did the paperwork, I didn't even know they were doing paperwork. We were just sitting over there talking. They went over there and did paperwork. And they said, well, if it was going to be a church, what would it be called? And I said, to the least of these, like instantaneous, to the least of these. Why I said that in that moment, I didn't know. But the connotation of it, I got versus what some people have misunderstood it to be. There is a woman who was upset because she thought that by calling ourselves to the least of these meant that we were calling ourselves least. And that is far from it. The reason why this church is called to the least of these is because it speaks to a manner of people who look at everybody with value and there is no one that is discounted in their sight. So in this congregation, as I bring up the scripture multiple times to him who or her who is loved much, the same forgives much. It is the people who have seen the depravity of the heart and have seen the redemptive power of Christ Jesus that look upon other people, not with self-righteousness, not with condemnation, but with a heart full of concern and conviction. Because they know, but by the grace of God, there go I. So there is a lot of people in this church that have seen the bottom of society and the bottom of themselves. And it is these people that have come to the end of themselves that God gives great vision to see not only the value in themselves, but then also the value in others. So when this church is called to the least of these, the focus is not on being least. The identity or, or the focus is on everybody. Being least is not our identity. Excuse me. It's our focus. It speaks to our focus. 
that any encounter we have, any person that we talk to is worthy to hear the gospel of Jesus Christ. Is important enough to overcome our discomfort, our duress, our concerns, because at the end of the day, all flesh is as grass and will wither away, but the word of God is eternal. And the only thing that is going to benefit anybody after this world is destroyed and God starts everything anew is did they receive Christ Jesus or did they deny him? So when we look at identifying ourselves as a church that values everybody, we, not, we, not, we may not be able to do everything, but we value everybody. And so there is wisdom in some of the things that we do, and there is limits, and we're aware of that. But the very fact that our mission is to, is to treat every person as valuable to God is what drives our decisions, is what shapes the steps we take, the very sermons we preach, the music that we play, or the various things that we do. That is our mission. It is important to define what your mission is. It is important to know that. If you're in the field, we got military people in here, and I thank you for your service, and um, some of you guys are still very military. <coughs> you ever try studying the guitar with Steve? <laughs> Everybody else uses a metronome. He uses military cadence. <laughs> I'm just kidding. But if you're in the special forces, and they drop you off in a, in a helicopter in the middle of Sudan or Iran or anything else that ends with A-N or O-V-I-A or whatever the case may be. Over there, if they drop you off over there, wherever over there is, but it ain't over here. When they drop you off, do they just say, here you go, point your gun somewhere and go get to it? No. They say, here's your mission. Here's your mission parameters. Here are your objectives. This is what you need to do. And they base all of their decisions and moves on what their mission is. Military is not the only one like that. Many, many companies have mission statements. I will read a few and let's see if you can figure out, number one, who they are. And number two, if when you hear their mission statement, you can see that company making decisions based on their mission statement. Number one, Kevin, you can't respond to this one. To be Earth's most customer concentric company where customers can find and discover anything they might want to buy online and <laughs> endeavors to offer its customers the lowest possible prices. Who is that? Wow. Do you think that they're following their mission statement. To accelerate the world's transition to sustainable energy. Huh? Nope. Who? Who? Who is Tesla? <laughs> to prevent and alleviate human suffering in the face of emergencies by mobilizing the power of volunteers and the generosity of donors. Close, huh? Red Cross. Somebody over here said the same thing. So now you can see these people, these companies are making decisions based on their mission statement. 
to bring the best user experience to customers through innovative hardware, software, and services. That's absolutely not at Microsoft's business model at all. <laughs> Microsoft is to give you a button where you give you a keyboard. You only need three buttons: Control, Alt, Delete. Uh, <laughs> Apple. And now you see all of their, their, their products and all of their product launches and the hype is, is built around their mission statement. Uh, last one, to refresh the world, to inspire moments of optimism and happiness, to create value and make a difference. Not Walt Disney. Coca-Cola. Think of every Coca-Cola commercial you have seen. They're not super serious. They're not even super emotional. They're all cute and about good times and little fuzzy bears that are drinking soda for some reason. <laughs> now, for the one that said Disney, I, I actually thought about putting Disney in there. And then when I read to take over everybody's forms of entertainment and completely ruin them, I just... I <laughs> But these are mission statements from companies, and they make their decisions based off of what their mission is. That's what guides them. What do they spend money on? Well, what's our mission? What do they put out there for advertising? Well, what's our mission? So when you look at their decisions, that's based off of what is their mission. The church is no different. Now, we don't have a cute mission statement. We have pretty much a, uh, a global mission statement which boiled down to its core is to restore or be ambassadors to a creation that has fallen and be ambassadors for them to be restored into the creation they were called to be. In other words, I'll read a couple scriptures real quick. They're not on the board. Second Corinthians 4, 4, when it speaks of Jesus Christ, it says, whose minds the God of this age has blinded who do not believe, lest the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine on them. Christ is what? The image of God. 2 Corinthians 3.18, But we all, with unveiled face, beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord, who is what? The image of God, are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory just as by the spirit of the lord hmm you say well that's asking a lot i mean that's the, it's not asking a lot if you look at it genesis the third chapter <laughs> genesis the third chapter before genesis the third chapter really genesis the first chapter what did god say let us make man what in our image he didn't back off of that why do we? Now, we back off of it because we go, well, that means that we're, we're trying to be like God. No, we, there is only one creator. That's only that. That's nobody's taking that. That's not going to happen. That's not even what we were created for. We were created to reflect and be uh, something that God can work through in conjunction with. And when they see us, they can look and say, we see the creator through his creation. 
it's pride to think that I'm going to be as God and sit upon the mountain and the face of the north and I shall be like the most high. That sounds like somebody else. And that's what we are afraid of. But really, if you look at a lot of scriptures in, New, in the New Testament, it tells you, be ye imitators of God as dear children. That's what you and I were created for. And that's what you and I as Christians are being transformed from glory to glory. However, does that discount the person who walks outside that does not know God? Absolutely not. Because while they were created to be in the image of God and they fell from that, it is up to us to say, you know what? There's something on the inside of you that needs to be restored to what its original purpose is. That's all of our calling as ambassadors. As a matter of fact, so much so that James governs our arguments. And I know I'm going to be stepping on a bit of toes and probably my own. But James governs our arguments and says uh, in James 3, 8, 9, but no man can tame the tongue. It is an unruly evil full of deadly poison. With it, we bless our God and Father, and with it, we curse men who have been made in the similitude of God. In other words, when we start cursing men, that means that we do not understand the value that God has created on the inside of them. We're just throwing them away. But at the end of the day, did God throw us away? He could have. I mean, he wouldn't, but in our thinking, he could have. On a laundry list of things that we have done and things that, you know, because we, ain't, did, because we didn't get a speeding ticket doesn't mean we haven't been driving too fast. So, you know, there, there's things that you tell probation and then there's things that <laughs> you tell nobody until you go to the grave. There are things about you that only you know. And there are things about you that only you know that the redemptive power of God through the blood of Jesus Christ has also covered. And if you know that, those dirty secrets that you got hidden in the closet, behind the closet, buried up underneath the horse trough in the backyard, what makes you think that if he extended that grace to you, he won't extend it to that person that you have a problem with? So when you curse man, what you're really saying is, I don't understand my value or what God has saved me from, and I definitely don't respect yours. Quiet. That's fine. <laughs> it gives you something to think about. Gives me something to think about. Because really a lot of times when you see something like that really, really cut deep, is with either people who are best friends or marriage relationships. Because they already have that inroad. And they know all they have to do is disrespect your value. And you're going to go right to, you can't talk to me that way. Who are you? And then it just, it just blows up. Because it's all flesh. But if you speak to that person's value, even if they are a fallen image that needs to be restored when you and i minister to them we don't go well you know you're full of sin and you do this and you watch the not teletubbies i'm thinking teletubbies for some reason 
not because they're just. <laughs> no, I, I was <laughs> Family Guy. I was thinking Family Guy. You know, you you watch these horrible shows and you, you do all this, you know, and you, you you think that that really is going to motivate people to recognize that they are created for a much better purpose, but it's buried. No, it's not. They're just going to feel condemnation and anger and anger at you and shut down and nothing's going to happen. But when you come alongside somebody, as somebody said earlier, speaking the truth in love, you know what? You are created for much better things than what you are going through. You are created to be free, not enslaved to drugs, not enslaved to pornography, not enslaved to alcohol, not enslaved to all of these things that put you in bondage, but you are created to be free so you could demonstrate the glory of God that you originally were created for. All of a sudden, you start looking at sin, not so much as it has power, but in the fact of, I realize where God is calling me, and these are the things that are holding me back. I realize that this addiction is robbing me from being able to stand in freedom. I realize that my mentality is robbing me from standing tall and being confident in the grace in which Christ Jesus has supplied. And so because of that, you start looking at where God is taking you and fighting to get there versus looking at a standard that you think you can't reach because your problems are so monumental. So our mission, our global mission, not just us, but the whole entire church is to see and serve the creation that God created, to see and serve. In other words, to be, when I look at everybody, I see not this frail, beat up, angry individual. I see up underneath all that, what God created that needs to be released. I don't look at Chris, Chris, I don't look at Chris, I almost said Mike, <laughs> and say, you know what, this guy, is just, he's got so many problems, he drives too fast, and this, that, and the other. I say, you know what, up underneath all of that bravado, all of that facade, is a broken vessel that is crying out for its true purpose. Let me speak to that purpose. So when these people ministered, they weren't looking for, you know what, I'm going to see what I can do to show off for God. They weren't even thinking that. They were just seeing people and their value no matter what situation they were in. If they were hungry, well, you need food because you're a creation that deserves better. If you're in prison, well, somebody needs to visit you because you're a creation that deserves not to feel like you're abandoned. If you're thirsty, well, let me give you something because you're a creation that does not know what its true purpose is. But let me speak to your immediate need and then let me speak to your spiritual need. That so dominated their decisions and choices that when Christ says, well, when you did this, you did it to me. It's almost like shock because they weren't looking at it from you see what I'm doing, Lord. It was more like, Lord, I see this person. How can I help? Do you see the difference? There's a motivation to show off before God. And as Matthew, the I believe chapter six says, verily, you shall have your reward. But when you go and you see, Lord, how can I help this person? How can I stand in the gap in this situation? When you have the same heart to look at someone else as Christ looked at you. 
then you start realizing the very mission that this church globally is called for. To the least of these, as a local church, its mission statement was and still is to provide a safe place for God's men to worship. That is what guides our decisions. That is what um, we base our decisions on. The same thing as Eagle's Nest. When you talk about Eagle's Nest, um, the, the mission was to uh, uh, provide housing for people as Christ would. That's why you don't see 17 people in an Eagle's Nest house. We max out at five for a reason. Because it's about showing you who you are in Christ Jesus and helping you to get there. The same thing in this church. This is not a knock on uh, Brown Road or any other church that's out there. We went to Brown Road for a while. Great people, loved them. We tried to sing uh, How Great Thou Art, but uh, we couldn't find the right key. <laughs> we are just gonna put song number 10 on the board. And in our Sunday school class at Brown Road, our Sunday school class, uh, you, you know, the Sunday school classes have ages, right? You got kindergarten through, you know, obviously we're not in that one. Um, but it was, you know, the, the 40s and 50-year-olds and in the 60s. And we were in the 80s until graduation group. <laughs> Once you made it into this Bible study group, the only way out was you graduated to heaven. So we had some, we had, we had some people in there that were pushing 90. We had a woman in there. Um, I don't remember how old she was pushing 80 something 87 I think at the time and this woman could flat play the piano like nobody's business I mean she could just flip the book and just dun, 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 dun. she had a bounciness it wasn't somber she loved what she did there were former police officers in this group former ministers all of them welcomed us with open arms we learned from them it was it was wonderful and the church itself even though the demographic, obviously me being a former Pentecostal, I'm used to a little bit more rowdiness. Brown Road is very conservative Baptist. And um, not that they're frigid, they're just conservative. Um, they're similar, but not, not too similar. Uh, <laughs> but they, they were a warm-hearted bunch of people, right? However, could we ever really feel comfortable sitting in the middle of that congregation with families running around and all sorts of other things going on. Could we worship freely? No, because it required us to worship and be aware and to focus, make sure nobody's running around or this isn't going on or whatever the case may be, or you know, these people are looking at us a little weird and how do I respond to that? It, all these things cloud the freedom of worship. So when we had to the least of these, it was a safe place for God's people to worship. In other words, you don't come in here and worry about who's looking at you crazy. Because if they are looking at you crazy, it's just because they look crazy. <laughs> Some of them are just waking up. Some of them are trying to stay awake. So, you know, believe me, you should, we, if we flip the whole congregation, y'all can see there's some people that look at me when I'm preaching. It's like... <laughs> And I'm, you know, it, sorry, Travis, it could, be, <laughs> it could be something I've said, but it also could be that they're trying to stay awake. But this is a safe place. 
Like you come in here and you can relax. You can worship freely. That there is nobody that, that you know, definitely there's nobody saying, I can't believe you got the nerve to sing that song and you're so bad at staying in key and this, that, and the other. Believe me, I know where we're at. You beget your own kind. You're in the midst of people who smell just like you, sheep-wise. And so we all make a joyful noise. <laughs> we're all rhythmically challenged. Most of us are rhythmically challenged. But you know what? When we clap and it sounds like uh, the Kentucky Derby, God still loves it. Because we're <laughs> Because we're doing it unto the Lord. When we sing and we try to, you know, uh, what was the song we sang two, two weeks ago, uh, I Can Only Imagine? And everybody loves that song and dreads that song because it, it goes to, you know, surrounded by your glory and then it jumps up a fifth. But everybody slips and jumps up a whole octave and now everybody in the church is screaming, surrounded by your glory. <laughs> we try. Or, and the rest of us that got some dignity, we just drop down a whole octave, surrounded by your glory. <laughs> <laughs> we make it work. Because even though we're, we're trying to communicate the words, it's our heart before God. And God says, you know what? I respect that sacrifice. Do you realize the sacrifices brought before the priest in order to give unto God? The priest takes parts off and takes feathers and removes this, takes this part off and all that stuff. And then puts the essence on the altar. And it's the same thing. Because I've heard people say, well, you can't worship in a seven-string guitar. We've done it. <laughs> you can't worship with hip-hop music. We've kind of done it, and I've seen it done in other places. Well, it only has to be this. or Look, when, at the end of the day, God looks at our heart and separates. Okay, this bad note, I get it. I see what they were trying to do. This, um, this bad choice of words, you know, it should have been this. They misdid, misdid the words. That's all right. We'll blame Eric for that. Uh, but what we'll, get <laughs> what we'll get to is just the raw, where was their heart? in worship where was their heart in serving me because again you're not going to serve and do everything perfectly but it's your heart being in it and God says I see his heart I see what he's trying to do before me believe me there are many people who will try to serve those who are in prison those who are hungry those who are thirsty and I guarantee you for every saint that is trying to do something for those people in those categories they're not going to do everything right they're not going to make everybody happy, but at least they're out there doing unto the Lord. And that's the same thing that he's called each and every one of us for. So when we have a safe place, that is our local mission and it guides our decisions. But overall, the global mission that we have still fits with the same uh, tenets of the faith that every single Orthodox church has that has started 2000 years ago all the way up to this point. John chapter 4, verse 21 through 24. This is the woman at the well, and Jesus is talking to her. And it says, Jesus said to her, woman, believe me, the hour is coming when you will neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem worship the Father. Next verse. You worship what you do not know. We know what we worship for salvation is of the Jews. That's kind of a bold statement. But the hour is coming, and now is... When the true worshipers, uh, he didn't call the Jews true worshipers. I'll leave that alone for now. 
because that, that might stir up the pot. Let's just say the way that God intended for man to worship him is above, not necessarily better, but it is called for more than just the blood of bulls and goats. They did what they needed to do for a season to get us to where we're at to understand what God wants in the spirit versus what we try to do in the flesh. And so he says, but the hour is coming and now is when the true worshipers will worship the father in spirit and in truth for the father is seeking such to worship him. The first mission for the church is to create a place to worship God in spirit and in truth. Now, we won't go into too many details for time, but we have often talked about the difference between doing things being spirit-led and doing things in the flesh as if you were trying to copy or emulate what is being done in the spirit. And God says, what I want is spiritual worship, spiritual service. You say, but you can't see that. You can see that because you see what happens in the spirit through what is demonstrated in the natural so your service to God starts with your relationship to him in the spirit. It is manifested in what you do from that relationship with this body as you steward. Acts the second chapter. Nobody outside saw the flames and all the stuff that went on between the spirit and the congregation. What they saw was the movement of the congregation going outside and that's what they received from. They didn't know of the spirit. They didn't know of cloven tongues of fire, none of that stuff. They didn't see any of that. They didn't need to see any of that. That was a spiritual relationship between the church and the Holy Spirit. The outflow was manifested in the natural and people were blessed and 3,000 people were added to the church. So the church is designed in order to first and foremost Show people how to worship God, not just in the building, but in our lives. Worship God in spirit and in truth. And just so that you don't think that we worship God because God has um, got an ego that's insatiable. That's far from the point. It goes back to our relationship. We were already created to worship God. And in that cycle of us worshiping God, he showed himself strong through us. And then after the fall, he still says in 2 Chronicles 16, 9, for the eyes of the Lord run to and fro through the whole earth to show himself strong on behalf of those whose heart is loyal to him. He's still looking to show himself strong through worshipers. People who turn their heart to him and their mind to him and their love to him and say, you know what, Lord, I'm going to serve you. I'm going to lift you up high and lifted up like the song Blake sang earlier. Shining in the light of your glory. But what happens is that when you start worshiping God, he says, there is a heart that is towards me. And through that life, I can show myself strong. The next phase for a church is found in Ephesians chapter 4, 11 and 6. And we won't read the whole thing for time. But it says, And he gave himself some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, and some pastors and teachers for the perfecting of, or the equipping, I'm thinking King James, for the perfecting of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ. We'll stop there. All of these people that are placed in the church are placed there to help the church become 
the men and women that we are called to be, to help draw out that uh, uh, what the creation and God's original purpose for you is and to help you shed all of the things that are in the way. That's our job. That's our job in helping one another. So there is a fellowship relationship, whether that is stewardship, or, uh, leadership, whether that is uh, discipleship, but definitely fellowship in which when we all come together, we're helping each other to grow, to be equipped, to be edified, which means to, um, to, to, incur, to lift up, um, to make stronger, to equip, which means to give you the materials you need in order to go out and do the work of the ministry and to exhort or encourage. There are schools of, of, of preachers learn this coming up. Some preachers are great exhorters. I mean, that, that's their ministry is exhortation. They, they're not going to teach you anything. <laughs> but they are like pep rally people that will get you going and they have a purpose. There are people who are great teachers and not great encouragers. They're just, this is the facts, this is the information, this is what you need to do. They will give you great principles, but you will leave there going, I got a lot to study, but you won't leave there feeling all pumped up like you've just been at a, a pep rally. But they have their purpose, and they have their place. When we come here, we come here so that we can be edified. We can be built up. When we come here, we come here so that we can be encouraged. Believe me, if there's anybody that knows trials, tribulations, and challenges, it is the people sitting in this room and that room and the ones listening to this recording. We know what the challenges are. The last thing we need is to come into the house of God and the house of God speaks like the world. Oh, it's coming to an end. Oh, it's all bad. All oh, the Republicans are crazy. All oh, the Democrats are crazy. I'm purposely not looking at a particular person. <laughs> but I hear it. Oh, the zone, oh, the, the finances, oh, the, they're, they're going to raise the rate and then a lot of people are going to lose their job. And yeah, it's discouraging. The last thing we need is to mirror that in the house of God and start looking at the world's problems instead of looking at our Savior and then viewing all of our challenges through the lens of his truth, which is, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. We have worship, which is upward. We have fellowship, which is within. And in Matthew 28, 17 through 20, we have outreach. When they first saw Jesus, it says that when they saw him, they worshiped him, but some doubted. We just talked about worship. Keep that in mind. Next verse. And Jesus came and spoke to them saying, all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. If we had time, we could just stop and preach on those two verses based on the principle we just talked about three or four minutes ago. When you have a heart towards God of worship, he is looking for those people to show himself strong through. Right when it says they worship him, it turns right back around and he tells them what? All power is given unto me in heaven and in earth. When you worship me and you go out and you're glorifying God, the reciprocation of that is that we are walking in the power and authority of the Lord Jesus Christ as the body of Christ, as the church. Next verse. 
Go therefore, because of that, go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you. The first one is, is, is bringing people into the faith, but teaching them to observe, that's discipleship. That's edifying. That's building people up. And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Amen. Being a true statement. When we outreach, it, we're outreaching because of what God has given us from that relationship of worship and through the power in which he pours through each and every one of us, we then go out to bless the world with the gift that God has given us. We should be outreaching to the lost. Now, obviously, every church, including this one, is going to have its challenges, and we're aware of that. But there are ways that we can minister. Sometimes we're thinking too inside the box that we don't really see what God is doing. For those of y'all that know Hillsong before the bad things happened, was their music ministry really targeted to be a global outreach sort of thing? No, it was the voice of their church that other people got a hold of. And next thing you know, through that outlet, their songs have blessed millions around the world. That was not something that they sat down and said, let's use our music to, they, they use their music to reach the church. Just like I urge the people in here, um, we have one, two, three, four, four, that I can think of off the top of my head, five, Henry, songwriters, just songwriters alone in this congregation that have written songs, that have blessed the congregation. And up until this point, it is sad here, and, and we've, we've been blessed with that, but we don't know how that voice and that worship is going to bless the other people that are around us. Every... Uh, look, I'm a big fan of How Great Thou Art and the songs that um, are hymns and the songs that are modern. I love them all. Believe me, I can see the purpose in all of it. I'm not um, so stuffy that I'm like, well, we should only be singing hymns. I'm not like that. I love all of it because I see the reason and the purpose in all of it. However, when you have what comes up from this congregation that resonates with this congregation... That is powerful. And then when it goes out to bless other people, it brings them in to the, so the stories and songs of victory and deliverance and trust that we have with God, which is different than what another church is going to have with God. And it gets that voice out there. That's a form of outreach. We're not going door to door. Some of us can't even do that. But we can share with others what God is doing in the midst of us. Another part of outreach, one of the reasons that why we invested so heavily in the system that we have is that the, 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 the goal of what we're doing here is to bless people who are in prison and what we should be doing, which is blessing those who can't make it here with CDs of what has happened so that they still are a part of and receiving from what has happened here. That's a part of outreach. And so the whole a safe place for God's people to worship guides all of these decisions that we make in fulfilling these goals, how we worship, how we fellowship, how we outreach. In closing, how does the father see this whole thing? Bunch of Christians, 
running out, uh, trying to show Christ to other people. Yeah, that's, 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 that's great. There's nothing wrong with that. But how does the father see that? We see programs, we see documents in which we talk about budgets and strategies and mission statements and all of that. How does God see it? First Peter, chapter 2. First and foremost, he urges Peter uh, in verse 4 to say to the church, and not just the church that Peter is speaking to, the pilgrims in the dispersion, but all of us, coming to him as a living stone, a living stone, rejected indeed by men, but chosen by God and precious. You also as living stones are built up a spiritual house, a holy priesthood to, to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. Therefore, it is also contained in the scripture. Behold, I lay in Zion a chief cornerstone, elect, precious, and he who believes on him will by no means be put to shame. Therefore, to you who believe he is precious, but to those who are disobedient, the stone which the builders rejected has become the chief cornerstone and a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. They stumble being disobedient to the word which they were also appointed. But you are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, his own special people, that you might proclaim the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light, who once were not a people, but are now the people of God, who had not obtained mercy, but now have obtained mercy. Amen. The way that God built this, he's not looking at our strategies, what we write up in our church bylaws and all that stuff. He's looking at stones being built on top of stones, being built on top of stones, and all of it being built on the chief cornerstone, who is Christ Jesus. He looks at the shoulders that we stand on that helped us to get to where we're at. And then there are shoulders that are going to be, there's feet that are going to be standing on your shoulders as you carry forward the next generation. There are people here, even in this church, who stand on the shoulders of those who stood in Waleta while they were protesting and while they were picketing and while they were all over the news. There are people in this church who stand on the shoulders of those who sacrificed and suffered in order to get this here. And yet God says, I put pillar on top of pillar and then while you're here you're the next generation that God says now I'm going to stand somebody on your shoulders and I'm going to build this holy temple in which sacrifices of praise are offered up that's what he sees you as he doesn't see you as a throwaway he doesn't see you as the 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 the, the old man or the sinner or any of that he says coming to him as a living stone what God sees is the creation that he created, and he's putting all the pieces together to build as he saw fit. When you see your brother or sister, are you looking at them as rubble, as trash, as something to be cast away and thrown to the side because of where they are, where they ended up? Or do you see them as a stone that needs to be redeemed and brought back into the Father's fold 
so that that stone could be put into its purpose as we build stone on top of stone. I urge you today that when you think of to the least of these, that at some point in our life, we were overlooked, we were discarded, and yet God's love not only shown, was shown to us, but we also received that love in a very tangible way. There are men and women who could possibly even hate you. But while we were yet sinners, here is the Father's love shown. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. If we were given that liberty, then how could we despise somebody next to us who may be on a completely different path and not offer them the same opportunity? Do we look at the people around us as valuable? Or do we look at the people around us as discarded stones? That's the question before each and every one of us today. We have a ministry and a calling as ambassadors to reach as many as we can in this world to show them their original created purpose so that eventually they can also stand on our shoulders and continue to make the house of God strong. Let's pray. Father, in the name of Jesus, as we gather in this place, we uh, thank you for the ministry, not just redeeming us, but we thank you that you've given us a voice to be able to go out and, and help in not only the building of your kingdom, but in speaking of your glory and your word and your mysteries and your love to those who may not know you so that their eyes could be opened and they can be restored to you as well. Father, we thank you and we ask you to give us your eyes so that we can see the world and the people around us as you see them, so that we can have that same compassion and that drive to go out and be the ambassadors, no matter what the zone is, no matter what the circumstance is, but we can stand in the gap and speak your word and serve to those who are thirsty, those who are hungry, those who are in prison those who are lost. Thank you, Father, for this wonderful privilege. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Tonight, as we get ready to do communion, it is a very uh, visible reminder that Christ came and died for us because he saw a fallen creation that needed to be restored. There is a, a sermon that we could preach. We won't because we don't have time. That sometimes for love, you don't always do the things that you want to do, but you do the things you need to do. It's a very powerful statement in the Garden of Gethsemane. Father, if it be your will, take this cup from me. That's a very vulnerable um, position to see Christ to where he is literally saying, you know what, Father? It's not that I want to do this. It's that I need to do this. It shows each and every one of us that often in our service to God and in our service to people, there are a lot of things that we may not want to do, but we need to do it. They may not always be pleasant. We may not always get the warm and fuzzies from it. But because of love, we do what we need to do. And the Bible says, greater love has no man than this, that he lays down his life for his brethren. So tonight, 
we not only look at the sacrifice of Jesus Christ, but we look at the love that the Father had and the dedication that Christ Jesus had to making this become a reality. The Bible reads, For I received from the Lord that which also I delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the same night in which he was betrayed, took bread. Father, we thank you for this, the body of Jesus Christ, which was broken for each and every one of us. Let it not only unify this body, but Lord, let us continue to have a reminder of the love that you have for each and every one of us through this. In Jesus' name, amen. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, Take, eat. This is my body which is broken for you. This do in remembrance of me. Father, in the name of Jesus, we take this cup which represents bloodshed to redeem and restore each and every one of us. Lord, let this blood do a work on the inside of us, a work of healing, a work of revelation, a work of atonement that we can stand free and clear, not in the filthiness of our rags, but in the righteousness which you have given us as you took our sins upon you in Jesus' name. Amen. In the same manner, he took also the cup after cup, he took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is a new covenant in my blood. This do ye as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you do proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. And as often as we rise up from this table to go speak to the world, we do show the Lord's life. Would you all stand? It sounds a little daunting to have such a calling especially after having such a background. But I urge you to remember Matthew 28. When they worshipped him, when they worshipped him, he said to them, all power is given unto me. He's not telling you to go stand in the world on your own devices, on your own resources. He's saying, as you worship me, realize that the, the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, which you are lifting up, is the name with all power and authority, not just on earth, but in heaven. That's who you serve, no matter what the world throws at you. Would you lift your hands for the benediction? Now may the God of peace, who brought up our Lord Jesus from the dead, that great shepherd of the sheep, through the blood of the everlasting covenant, make you complete in every good work to do his will, working in you what is well-pleasing in his sight. Through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever, let the church say, Amen. God bless you.